Thank you very much, Mandy. Thank you, everyone, for coming here. I know this is a, a tense time, and there's a lot of things vying for everyone's interest. Um, history is definitely not high uh, on uh, the list of uh, burning topics right now, but um, hopefully by the end of my talk, you will be convinced that history actually matters, and it shapes very much the reality um, that we deal with today. And because of that, I actually am going to start from the present. So this week, in the wake of uh, Trump's, uh, forgive me for saying stupid, declaration about Jerusalem, um, Palestinians all over uh, went on demonstrations, their supporters around the, uh, the world. And this included also Palestinian citizens of Israel. Today, in response, the Israeli Defense Minister, um, Avigdor Lieberman, called on the Israelis to boycott them. Um, stating, quote, these people aren't part of the state of Israel, they aren't part of us, end quote. And although he's specifically talking in this particular in instance about what he called rioters, um, this is uh, a sentiment that has been expressed not only by him, but by uh, several others of the current, uh, current government um, in more general terms. And this challenge to Palestinians, uh, Palestinian citizens' place in Israel and their right to and within the state, uh, the Israeli state, is not new. It has been a part of Israeli policy towards them since um, the earliest years. And here I'm speaking about a community that today is 1.8 million, uh, about 20,000, uh, 20, sorry, 20% 20 of Israel's population. Um, this, is a, uh, the, this population is basically what remained of the Palestinians within the state of Israel who were in 1949 um, about 150,000, and the number is very contested and fluctuant, but um, they are the only Palestinians who were able to remain in their land um, uh, after the Nakba. So I talk today about Nazareth as a case study of this community's history. Um, and rather than beginning in 1948, I actually explore the mandate period. Um, uh, first, I insist on a continuity of Palestinian history, i.e. rather than the standard narrative that writes Palestinian history as a two-part history, as a history that is truncated, that either starts or ends in 1948, and as a result, Palestinians who become citizens of Israel become Arab Israeli, quote-unquote, which is the term that Israeli government actually uh, worked very hard on creating, uh, because that meant that they would be stripped of national rights and historical claims to the land. Rather than that, I actually try to highlight that despite the significant structural changes, i.e. despite the move from a colonial state um, uh, or informally mandate, but really in practice colonial state, they are now in a nation state that is a settler colonial state. The structures of exclusion that Palestinians faced in the, pre -mandate, in the uh, mandate period continued to be within the nation state, albeit in different forms. And in light of these exclusions, Palestinians who, were, who became citizens of Israel built on strategies and identifications that they used during the mandate period to undermine, to challenge the new self-identified uh, self, um, Jewish state. So I begin exploring uh, uh, some aspects of the social and political life in Nazareth during the mandate. I will sp speak briefly about the occupation in 1948 um, and its uh, um, significance and the challenges the city faced. And then I will, in pla through pla while placing 
the Palestinian, the city in the, in the wider context of Palestinian citizens of Israel, I will speak about how they went on to negotiate uh, incorpor uh, their incorporation into this, self, um, uh, into this exclusionary settler colonial state. So I start with um, the mandate period. Uh, so many of you can uh, easily assume that when you hear Nazareth, there's a sense of this city that is holy and that has always been there since Christ. Um, even though there has been historical presence um, in Nazareth, um, their city, because it is nested in this geographic area away from the uh, route of transportation, was a small and negligible place until um, the 18th century when um, Dahar al-Umar, the uh, Ottoman semi-autonomous ruler um, of the Galilee area, uh, made it into his center. And with the security um, that he brought and the economic interest that he had in the city, in, in Nazareth, it became, began developing into a more substantial city. Um, this trend continued uh, with other Ottoman governors and um, in light of the religious significance of the city, um, now with the um, newly gained security, scores of religious institutions, Christian religious institutions, uh, started um, uh, uh, functioning in Nazareth uh, in the second half of the 19th century, um, also basically helping to um, increasing the size and uh, significance of the city. Um, during the mandate period, um, which started in officially 1919, but with Israeli, uh, with a sorry, British uh, occupation of Palestine in 1917, uh, uh, the city actually continues to expand and continues to develop, especially because it becomes an administrative center for the mandate, uh, uh, for the mandate authorities. But it still was a smaller urban center for the Palestinians uh, compared to Haifa, Jaffa, uh, Lidda, Jerusalem, and others. Um, the city had um, limited uh, economic uh, resources. It was very much a city of its hinterland. Um, uh, hinterland. It was very connected to the agricultural area around it. It had limited industry. Um, uh, Noteworthy um, tobacco factory, the Arab Cigarette and Tobacco Company, which was one of the largest in the country, um, and several quarries and small workshops. Um, most uh, of the uh, people employed in the city uh, were actually either worked for the British administration or worked in Haifa, in the refineries, in the railway workshops, and in army installations. Um, and uh, this work power, this uh, uh, paid work uh, labor, actually increased significantly in the 1940s, not only in Nazareth, but in Palestine in general. By the beginning of the 1940s, Palestine was devastated by the Arab Revolt, which lasted from 1936 to 1939. Um, the community not only had not only had the economy uh, been uh, completely undermined by British brutality in response to the revolt, but uh, the Palestinian leaders were also um, uh, all absent as uh, they either fled or were exiled uh, by the British. So. The Palestinians begin the 1940s in a very hard time, but very soon after, because of British wartime policies, their economic need, as um, uh, Palestine was their second uh, center in the Middle East, um, there was an expansion in industry and expansion of employment uh, related to the military presence. Um, 
And in this context, um, there is an increasing labor mobilization in Palestine, a, labor move, a flourishing labor movement um, uh, begins uh, developing in a very forceful way. And in this labor movement, Nazareth b plays a significant role, which is actually quite significant because if you think about it, this is a smaller town with a mostly um, uh, uh, traveling or commuting um, labor, or, uh, labor uh, power, but it still becomes very, very active in, uh, in the national scene. And um, the uh, the union is uh, the first union is established in 1942, the most significant one in the city, Jamiat al-Umal al-Arab al-Nasra, as a branch of a national movement, um, but affiliated with the left wing of the Palestine labor movement. Um, it becomes very uh, active and militant very very quickly, and in their mobilization, uh, they tie very very clearly the local and national. For them. Because the reality, the everyday reality of Palestinian workers was very tied to the reality as uh, people under British imperialism as they defined it, every aspect of life was tied to the national question. Because workers' everyday life was shaped by that, the labor movement needed to be a part of the nationalist movement, not only work for floor shop. Um, issues, which is what the British had intended for the labor movement to do. Um, they um, are very, very active and very uh, uh, forcefully uh, uh, outspoken, sorry, um, in, um, in their uh, mobilization. So for instance, when the Anglo-American Commission comes to Palestine to decide on the future of Palestine, they call for boycotting it as an imperialist scheme. Uh, or uh, in, uh, in other cases, they, are, um, uh, they support the nationalist movement. When, they're represented, when a representative of the, labor, the Palestine labor movement goes to an international conference and gets a, succeeds in uh, undermining the Zionist claim to represent uh, the labor in Palestine, they, Nazareth throws him a party and a big celebration. So this is a very active movement that is very, very conscious um, of the national situation, very involved in it. Um, but this was not the only avenue that uh, Nazareth was uh, involved in the political uh, life in Palestine. And uh, one of the uh, important questions that the Palestinians faced throughout the mandate, but in more significance in the, in the 1940s, is the question of local government. government. Um, so for those of you who don't know, mandate is a term that was created by the uh, League of Nations um, under the premise, basically, that the mandate authorities will help the people of the not yet fully there uh, Middle East um, to develop until they are able to um, govern themselves and be independent. <clears throat> the mandate in Palestine, of course, had a little bit of a twist called the Balfour Declaration, because in this commitment to self-governance, the British included in the mandate document their promise to the Zionist movement of a Jewish national home in Palestine. So under this, uh, this situation, even though the British promise um, advancing autonomy and self-governance for the Palestinians, uh, they actually never followed through with, the, with that. Even their own commission, the Peel Commission in 1936, basically says nothing has happened. You, this, this needs to be addressed. But in this context, uh, there is limited self-governance through municipalities. 
Um, the municipalities are highly controlled by the British, uh, who can ab appoint the mayor. So the, the municipality, the council is elected, the mayor is appointed by the British, who were not bound by the elections. Um, budgets and all other considerations were basically under supervision of the British High Commissioner. Um, not only that, the self-governance aspect was even more undermined by extremely rigid, limited um, voting rights. The only people who could vote in municipal elections, which I um, would like to make clear, were the only context in which Palestinians could vote because the British uh, administration, um, under Zionist pressure, refused to allow for a representative institution in Palestine on a national level. Um, you can guess why, um, or I will state it. The majority were Palestinians. Any representative body would have had to be a Palestinian majority, and the Zionist movement was not interested in that democratic process. Um, but um, in, the local uh, in the local councils, in the, local con uh, in the context of local councils, the only voting rights were for male over 25 who paid a, a specific sum uh, in, t in local taxes. The practical uh, significance of that meant that um, in Nazareth in 1946, 8% of the population could vote in the elections, in the municipal elections. Um, in, uh, even with, that, with those limitations, the British also um, engaged in a divide and rule uh, policy, which was very much a, a banner of uh, their governance throughout the, world, throughout the empire, throughout the world. Um, so they tried to basically divide the Palestinian community into different groups. In 1927, the uh, municipal franchise law actually um, divided the representation on communal um, basis. So basically, it's supposed to uh, bring um, a proportional representation for each community. In the 1946 um, elections, uh, 1934 and 46 were held according a new, to a new law, the municipal uh, ordinance, and that one um, cancelled the communal division, but the uh, area-based division, which de facto was also a division according to community-based lines. Um, so when the elections come in 40, uh, the elections were in 1934, they were supposed to be held again in 1939. The British prevent, prevent the elections uh, by stating that there, this could uh, jeopardize the situation during the war. So for 10 years, there's no elections. When the elections are announced in 1940, to, be, to be held for 1946, um, very, very significant mobilization begins. Oh, sorry. Um, begins within Nazareth um, to, uh, to demand democratization. So that very active labor movement comes in again. Um, they basically come out and say, if we are the people, if the, labor, if the workers are the majority of the people and they have no access to the governance, then how is our, are our interests going to be safeguarded? And particularly in Nazareth, where the municipality was very much failing to do much, um, the city was in a, not a great situation. A part of my book also talks about the water, uh, which I'm not going to get a chance to talk about, but um, I'm happy to answer questions. So the city is having water shortages, no development projects, um, infra failing infrastructure, and um, the labor movement um, basically spearheads this uh, campaign to say, we need a, go a local government that represents us because that's the only way this city is going to improve for all of us. And that's the only way for Palestinians to be in a better situation, to have some autonomy 
so that when, um, uh, when until basically until they get independence, um, that um, doesn't uh, uh, work very well. The British don't respond to that. The elections are still, as I mentioned, uh, held in a format that uh, only five eight percent uh, of the city's residents can vote, and yet, in a surprising way the elections are held very much in a public arena, the, the contest over the elections. And that is because um, of the work of the um, left organizations in Nazareth, the labor movement, and then um, other organizations, including the uh, League of Arab Intellectuals. And what these organizations do is that once the elections are announced, and this is organizations who could not run for the elections because they didn't make um, the cut for the voting rights, uh, but they, what they do is basically turn those elections into a national question, not a local question, and highlight the importance for the Palestinians not to fall into the trap of sectarian and family division, but to actually focus on the, on the fact that you could um, only get, uh, that Palestinians could only get the rights if they're able to mobilize this limited space um, in, or, in order to push for expanding this space of demo demo democracy and um, self-governance. Um, so I'm quoting, um, they say basically the, uh, uh, they, so they call basically on people to, um, to choose the right um, candidate. And they say that the right candidate will enable us, quote, enable us to continue struggling from within and outside the council to expand our liberties, end quote. And for that, they call on the voters to, to give their votes to qualified candidates based on the program they present, leaving personal interests and goals behind, end quote. So for them, the framing of the elections in this um, relatively small, small city um, that are very much structurally um, built to be sectarian, and familial to basically increase tensions among the Palestinians are now an opportunity to try to unify people for a national interest. Um, the union also calls on um, people to vote for, um, for, an, uh, for a, a, a public interest, national interest candidate. Um, and they say it very, very uh, forcefully, um, the leaflet on the left, I'm translating, quote, give your vote to whomever you find qualified to serve the interest of your town. Release yourself from the confines of sectarianism and family loyalties, and give your vote to the candidate who is loyal to his town and homeland. So again here, the, tie, the, the intimate connection that is created between the national and the local is very much central. Um, and um, even though the elections, the lists or the candidates that ran in the elections, because it wasn't party-based, uh, were very much sectarian and family-based, they also join um, the frame. And here I want to stop for a second and talk about this idea of sectarian, because we assume this is Muslim against Christian um, automatically. But what the, the dynamic in Nazareth were never actually that. Um, it was traditionally Orthodox Christians, uh, aligning with the Muslims of the eastern neighborhood, al-Hara al-Sharqiyya, which is the newer and less affluent neighborhood, against the Muslims of the western uh, quarter or the old city, who were more affluent land-owning uh, traditional elites, who allied with the uh, western sects of the Christianity, Greek Orthodox and uh, uh, Greek, uh, sorry, Greek Catholic and Roman Catholic mainly. Um, 
But even in that, there is this interplay on the, of the leadership of, uh, of the city that is very much elite-based, even, even if it masquerades as sectarian or family. It's basically who gets to lead the city um, in this question. But even in that, the other candidates are compelled to engage in the nationalist discourse. So um, one example is um, Amin Jarjura, who was uh, one of the uh, Greek Orthodox candidates, publishes a leaflet. He actually acknowledges the elephant in the room. He basically addresses, um, quote, Western and Eastern uh, neighborhoods and Muslims and Christians. So basically making it clear that this is the kind of way he's thinking about the world. But he says he is not pro, uh, he's far from any personal sectarian or familial interests. Um, in that context, he highlights that what they should vote for him for is because he is, uh, quote, uh, because of his, quote, persistent nationalism and resolve to work for the public interest. So again, even though pretty much everyone um, we can assume around knew what was at stake here for the candidates themselves, they all have to speak in this public context. And again, remember, 8% of the city can vote. So the idea that all candidates have to actually publish leaflets and address the public and address nationalist questions that are on the agenda on the day proves that the nationalist issue was at stake in Nazareth. And that was in everyone's mind, which of course is natural. We're talking about 1946. The Anglo-American Commission has actually already been in Palestine, gone through Nazareth, um, um, and uh, violence is escalating uh, by the Zionist organizations. Um, uh, the boycott, uh, the Arab boy uh, the call of the, uh, the Arab boy uh, boycott call from the Arab League uh, to, of Zionist in uh, Zionist interests has already been issued. But in that context, it's very important to remember that there there is basically an attention that surpasses the structural limitations that are imposed by the British, that basically forces anyone who wants to contend for leading the people to actually lead the people in a wider sense, not in a Nazareth sense, but in a national sense. Um, the elections themselves eventually uh, seem to have fallen on sectarian lines uh, or communal uh, uh, familial uh, lines. Uh, but um, actually never get resolved because uh, one of the parties uh, appeals against the election's results, um, initially through bureaucratic uh, lines, then through British courts, and eventually even in, through mediation um, through the Palestinian nationalist movement when they, in, this, uh, in December uh, 47, turned to the Palestinian nationalist movement saying the that the national situation right now does not bear um, continuing this conflict. We need mediation to end this so that we all can be basically on the same side. Um, this is, uh, and this agreement actually signed three days after the um, uh, partition plan uh, is uh, adopted by the uh, 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 United Nations in uh, November 29th, uh, 47. Um, the, uh, Eventually, the um, British uh, district commissioner invites uh, one of the candidates who won the elections, appoints him as a mayor, Yusuf Fahoum, uh, two days before they, the British leave the country. He appoints him and he appoints a council that is six of the, appointed, uh, of the elected members and two added uh, members. 
very close to the recommendation of the Palestinian mediator, uh, the Palestinian nationalist movement mediator. I'll move ta to talking about the Israeli period now, uh, or um, 48 and, and, uh, and later the Israeli period. But I, wanna, um, I, I will start by saying that internal dynamic and local developments were hindered by the outbreak of the war. So um, as I said, this was a commuter uh, uh, worker population, um, and uh, the roads are pretty much shut down very early on after the beginning of the um, uh, civil war in 1947. So the workers in Nazareth um, no longer have access to work, um, and the city becomes a center for refugees uh, as the Palestinian cities and towns uh, are devastated and their population displaced. Thousands of refugees come to Nazareth, upwards of 20,000 according to one estimate, um, and uh, the city uh, has to deal basically with the, um, this is now a good time for this slide, sorry. Um, the city was, as you could see, 15,000 people, and it had more refugees in it at some point than there were residents in the city. There's a need for provisions, for services, for places for these people to live, and it's a very big challenge in the city. The number of the refugees will actually go down as some are allowed to go back to their uh, towns and villages, others are resettled in other places, um, and uh, eventually only 5,200 refugees uh, stay in the city, about 20% of its population. Um, <clears throat> So the city was occupied in July 16, 1948. Um, there was a, a force of the um, Arab uh, uh, for, of the Arab army, the uh, uh, and uh, irregular Palestinian fighters in the city for months at this point. But the mayor, uh, the uh, uh, regular army, the LAI, leaves the city right after Safuria falls, and the mayor decides that the city cannot fight. Um, so the uh, uh, mayor and dignitaries go and sign a surrender agreement with the Israeli government. In the surrender agreement, the uh, uh, Israeli government commits to preserving Christian uh, holy places in the city um, without any mention of Muslim holy places um, and uh, full, equal, uh, full and equal civil rights for the residents of the city. Um, and um, if any of you uh, is interested, there's a brilliant scene in uh, a film in the film uh, in a film by uh, Elia Suleiman, "The Time That Remains," of uh, reprodu reproduction of this surrender scene. Um, that is a, a little of a, a comical twist, but it is very telling of the power structure of a city that basically has now, at this point, to remind you, most of the Palestinian cities have have fell, fallen under Israeli control. Haifa has been de uh, has been depopulated, um, Acre, uh, Tiberias, Safad. Um, so this is a, quite a traumatized population, not only by the strains on the city from the war, but also by living the experience of all those who have, whose lives have been shattered, who now have turned from regular people who had homes and hopes and dreams to people who know, now lived in a limbo of refugeness. And um, in this context, basically, 
Nazareth becomes the only Palestinian city that survives, um, and as such becomes the social, economic, and political urban center for the Palestinian citizens of Israel. And in this, basically, in this transition from a more marginal place um, in, in the grand scheme of Palestinian politics to, uh, 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 to a, basically a central place for the, in Palestinians' experience within the state of Israel, the city becomes very, very significant. Because for the Palestinians, it becomes the leading city. It and, it's, and, and the city's leader is basically take upon themselves to speak for the Palestinians. For the Israeli state, the city becomes basically the, 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 the playground of control over the Palestinians. It becomes central in their policies towards the Palestinians, so much so that Israeli uh, Orientalist uh, Jacob Landau uh, says, and I quote, all political parties in Israel are well aware that the political mood in Nazareth determines to a large extent the political behaviors of Arabs in Israel. So the city becomes very much um, a fixation in Israeli um, uh, program of controlling the Palestinian population. But before I move on to talk about that, I'll try to describe a little bit about how the city looked like right after its occupation. So as I mentioned, thousands of refugees um, in the city sleeping at this point in monasteries. Basically, all the monasteries and all the schools in the city are full to the full extent with every, as many people as they can put, and then people are forced to stay in shacks in the street. Um, the city has shortages of water, and electricity, and fuel, and food. Um, and of course, as I said, in this trauma. But in addition to all that, in October 1948, Israel places the Palestinian citizens of Israel, most of the Palestinian citizens of Israel, under military rule. And this is in the areas that are majority Palestinians, which are the Galilee on the top, the Triangle, and the uh, Naqab in the south. Um, and what this military rule meant was that the mili the, a military governor controlled every aspect of your life. All movements, all employment, um, all political freedoms are controlled by a military governor. And under the military regime, uh, Nazareth, um, everything in Nazareth was uh, very limited. Um, there were curfews that lasted, that went on from 8 p.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, every day. Um, there were raids into um, homes repeatedly and neighborhoods um, looking for infiltrators, quote unquote, that is people who um, were forced to leave their towns and villages and returned, um, and search for people who uh, allegedly uh, cooperated with the Arab forces during the war. Um, there was also uh, a dire economic situation. As I mentioned, um, high, em high employment was rampant already um, by the fact that no, uh, people could not access um, their work in Haifa. But then add to that all the thousands of refugees who were either employed in their cities or were um, work, uh, peasants, agricultural workers, who no longer had access to their, um, uh, to their land. So by March 1949, 3,000 people were looking for employment in Nazareth. Um, uh, in this context, what do people do is one of the things that my book is mainly focused on. How do people 
respond, and how do people survive this? Now, of course, Nazareth is lucky in the grand scheme of things because it was not depopulated. And one of the questions that has been raised repeatedly is why was Nazareth, why did Nazareth survive? Why was Nazareth spared the fate of Haifa and Lidda and Ramle and um, Jaffa and uh, Tiberias and Safad and the 530 other Palestinian towns and localities that were depopulated? And um, my answer is we really will never know. One aspect of it is that it's a Christian city. This state that is brand new, has not received UN recognition, believe that Christians in the world are looking at Palestine and looking specifically at this holy place. So the image of this new state um, is actually um, at stake in part. Um, there's even a part of the uh, um, order for the army that went to occupy Nazareth that basically mentions that. Um, but there's also the, the fact that um, the mayor surrendered and um, uh, the city didn't fight, which probably helped. Um, and he was a pragmatic leader. He, he kind of gave and, t uh, and talked to the people. And there's even the military, there's also um, the communists, for instance, from oral histories that I collected said that they actually stood at the exits of the, t of the town and prevented people from leaving and went from home to home and told them, you see what happens to people who leave their homes, so stay put. And the military commander, um, who is actually a Canadian Jew who came to volunteer in the war, Ben Dunkelman, argues that he actually received orders to depopulate um, Nazareth, and he refused to. Um, and eventually, basically, went all the way up to Ben-Gurion um, and was prevented. But, so now that you, that, now that the city is in, physically survived, most of it, at least 80% of the residents remain in the city, um, they have to kind of figure out how to live. So there is, there is an interest, an Israeli interest, in resolving the crisis in Nazareth, because again, they believe the world is looking, and it doesn't really look very good if this holy city is in um, such a shattered situation. Um, so they, mo they move on to meet with local leaders to try to um, return things to normal, as the, as the Israeli officials called it. And they start um, trying to kind of resolve some of the major, the, the basic issues, the, over, the um, overwhelming overcrowding, the unemployment, the food and water shortages. Um, and um, in this, they basically begin a conversation with the local leaders. And those are a very wide range of people. Um, there's the mayor and the uh, municipal council. There's the re religious leaders who are also a part of running um, uh, events in the city. There's the communists who were in the labor movement and in, other, in the other groups that I mentioned who are also now become very, very um, active. Um, and um, there is also just civil society or civil servants uh, high, uh, high school teachers and uh, principals and um, all those. And they're all meeting initially with the basic idea of resolving the immediate crisis. But as time goes on, the conversation shifts. There's now kind of a, an, a, a move to what next? And the Palestinians in Nazareth, the Palestinian leaders in Nazareth, move to talk about how are they going to fit within this state? 
The communists in, are very, very forceful about it from the beginning, even in the first meeting with the Israeli Minister of Minorities, which was three days after the city was occupied. They're already saying Israel needs to fulfill its promises, um, in, <clears throat> which uh, basically means um, the equality that was promised in the Declaration of Independence. And the municipality very, very soon becomes the center of the contention. Because for Israel, municipal Palestinian municipalities, only three last, uh, survive, but then they have to start creating local, uh, local councils. And those become a part of the system of control that Israel is trying to create over the Palestinians. But that doesn't really work out in Nazareth, because even the mayor who was willing to basically sign the agreement, the surrender agreement, and talk to them at the beginning, he very, very soon becomes very hesitant to fully follow their orders, and he challenges them repeatedly. But to make things worse, the communists, now very uh, outspoken, start demanding elections. And in demanding elections, they make it very clear that this is political. It is not a bureaucratic, technocratic struggle over this. This is political. And this is about the Arabness of the city, and this is about the rights of Palestinians within Israel. And that doesn't really sit well with the Israeli leadership because for them, one of the big projects was to prevent Palestinian local councils from becoming uh, politicized and from creating leadership on a national scale. Um, so what this basically ends up meaning, uh, uh, sorry, I don't know why I just did that. Um, this is the, kind of the people I'm talking about that become very, very uh, significant in this struggle. So for the next, Six years from 48, from October 48 is the first record I found for demanding municipal elections until 1954. There's a big campaign led by the communists, but later actually joined by pretty much every part of the city. And this is people who are not very friendly, but they all come together in demanding elections. And Israel is eventually forced to allow elections in Nazareth after uh, the second round of municipal elections is scheduled in Israel, in Jewish towns. Um, and after a mounting campaign. Um, but even when they do that, even when they agree to uh, uh, schedule elections, they basically ha uh, move on to make them into sectarian elections to kind of continue the, Isra the uh, mandate policy of divide and rule um, to make sure that what these elections are about are which family and which sect you are from. Because if you're involved in that, you're not thinking about the larger picture. You're not thinking about Palestinians um, and their place in the state. You're not making this municipality into a political challenge to the Israeli presence. Um, but it's not very easy for them because if you remember, the, uh, align the alliances in the city were not very neatly structured according to these sectarian, sectarian and family lines that the Israelis were trying. So they really have to work very, very hard for several months pressuring this group and pressuring that group and um, getting um, their men involved. There's, um, for instance, two, uh, the, uh, two Knesset members in the first Israeli parliament. Two of the members were uh, from Nazareth, Sekedin Zerbi and uh, Amin Jarjura and they pressure them to kind of pressure their communities. Um, they put pressure on uh, employees, uh, government employees, um, and they kind of try to uh, even uh, financially help um, the lists that are created. Um, and in face of this effort, Maki actually attempts to go after against this um, divide, sorry, um, and uh, basically tries to, to remind people that the, of the big picture. They just constantly say, this 
Sectarian and Family Division is a, 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 a program of the Israeli government to prevent you um, from your rights, to continue the oppression of the military government, to continue um, preventing the refugees to return and all these aspects. This is not, again, very similar to the discourse from pre-48. This is not about the local, narrow, uh, family and uh, communal interests. This is about the nation. Um, and eventually the state actually gets some success. Um, they're not very happy about the, the results because uh, instead of uh, one list for each, um, there is actually uh, eight uh, groups uh, vying for the uh, votes. Um, three Muslim, two Greek Orthodox, and one for the Western Christians. The two others are uh, uh, Mapam, which is a, another, at the time, opposition, left opposition party, and uh, the uh, communists um, under Maki. Uh, and once the, uh, the, the lists are published, Maki goes on in a much more vigorous campaign to call for the vote and to um, insist on the national significance of these elections. For them, this is not about Nazareth. This is about the 150-some thousand Palestinians who are now in this state and who basically are facing military government, are facing still the threat of expulsion, are still facing Israeli brutality on a daily basis. And in this context, to highlight that, they even go so far as to um, stress Quote, the issue now is not representation of a certain sect or a family in the municipal council. The issue now is saving the whole nation from new massacres and new displacements. This is 1954. The idea that bringing the Nakba into the story is a reminder for the Palestinians that re remaining in their homeland is not to be taken for granted, that it's still a challenge, and that all aspects of Palestinians' life could need to be directed towards that, toward guaranteeing this um, steadfastness, if you will, if, um, this in insistence on being there, on refusing to disappear, on refusing to disappear not only physically, but also on a national and political level. Not only were they going to be citizens in the country, but they were also going to be Palestinians. And this is kind of the constant tension, the constant struggle um, for the Palestinian citizens of Israel not to turn into quote-unquote Arab Israeli, um, this new identity that Israeli security forces were um, trying to create, as Halil Cohen showed, not to disappear, but to actually continue their presence in their homeland as Palestinians, while also guaranteeing their rights as citizens in this new state that is very much trying to exclude them um, from um, that citizenship. And in light of that, in light of the still extremely high unemployment, in light of the military government that was making life so hard for people, in light of the poverty and the um, uh, oppression that people faced, the sectarian and family lists, were, which were very, very clearly um, self-identified as sectarian and family lists, had to join the conversation on similar, similar level. They also had to speak in the, in the name of the national good, in the name of protecting the good of the people. So, um, for example, one group uh, that called itself Al-Ahliya, the popular list, um, 
starts its leaflet by saying we are the representative the representatives of Western Christian sects. So it's clearly identified as a sectarian list, but then it moves on to also make similar demands to what uh, the communists were demanding. We want um, uh, the end of the military government and we want the return of the refugees. Even though they frame it in a kind of a more local way, they're still speaking in that, uh, in that level, in that register. They even go as far as to say, Maki is a creation of the government and it's doing its work. Um, even though um, they kind of were themselves, um, and they knew it. But again, here again, like in the mandate period, this public engagement is, in, is indicative, in my opinion. It is indicative of the fact that for these very, very clearly local sectarian groups, um, so local sectarian and familial groups, it was obvious that the public opinion demanded a stance that was actually tied to the national interest um, and that uh, made them, uh, that uh, allowed them basically some expression of rights and an expression of their Palestinianness. And in light of that, those, the, the others had to basically join the conversation on the same level. Uh, am I doing the time? So, the elections finally happened in uh, 12th April uh, 1954, uh, 54. despite all the efforts of the government, because the government doesn't just stop after the lists are created, they continue pressuring people to continue to try to mangle, they, they continue to try to scare, they also try to tempt. So they loosen up a little bit of the military government's restrictions in Nazareth to basically use it as a, as a propaganda tool. And all that effort and all the sectarian appeal and all those attempts um, the communists actually have a resounding success. They win six out of the 15 seats in the council. So they're the biggest group, and they only need one more person to join their coalition that they can make the, pre the that they beco can become, um, have the, the mayor. And that drives the Israelis insane. You see the anger screaming out of some of those documents. How did this happen? Whose head needs to be going? And the, Israelis, the Israeli officials go on to do everything possible to prevent the communists from leading the municipal council. They pressure the groups. And again, this is you know, one, one of the, the side effects of developing all these egos of those people that you want to be the sectarian leaders and the family leaders is that then you need to also try to get them to work together. And you need, of all the... Um, People who were elected, you need basically most of them, seven of them, to give up so that one of them, or six of them, so that one of them can be mayor. And that proves to be very, very hard in this context. Um, so they try very, very hard, and even to the, to the degree in which at some point the communists actually succeed in convincing one of the Greek Orthodox uh, representatives to join them in the coalition, and they're physically prevented from reaching the municipal council. Dozens of people from the Zerbi clan, relatives of Sefedine Zerbi, who was one of the government people, show up in Nazareth under the military government. Remember, to go buy vegetables in the next nearby town, you needed a permit. To actually go see a doctor, you needed a permit. But dozens of armed um, uh, uh, people show up in Nazareth. They're armed with uh, sticks and things like that, not weapons. 
come into Nazareth and prevent the communists from physically arriving to the municipal council. And the police doesn't do anything. The meeting is eventually canceled, giving the government enough time to pressure everyone. And eventually, in July 1954, um, a mayor is, is agreed upon. The story doesn't end there. The tension, the communist um, insistence on making the, the municipality into a nationalist space continues. The um, government attempts to prevent the Palestinians from, from making it into a national space, from creating spaces for national expressions, continue. The military government continues until 1966. But in all this, Nazareth leads the Palestinians who remain within Israel in an effort to um, insist on their identity as Palestinians and their citizenship as, um, uh, as citizens in the state. And in these things, you repeatedly see the continuities from the mandate period. You see that the, it's, still, it's the same people in some of the cases. Many of the communists were already active, um, at least the early years, were already active in the mandate period, but also the mayor and others were already leaders in the community. And they're using discourses that are very similar and they're using ways that they have been trying to undermine their exclusion and um, their oppressive state, both during the mandate and um, during Israel. And that, I think, is something very important to remember, because it is very easy to see the Palestinian history as one that is completely broken, as one that kind of turns into this multiple histories, which there is an aspect of it. It is very hard to do the work of imagining one Palestinian history when the Palestinians were shattered into all those groups. But it is also possible to try to understand that this place, these people, this identity, didn't just disappear into thin air in 1948. People were and continue to insist on their presence. And this is where I come back to the present. The struggle of people in Jerusalem right now is an old new struggle. It's a struggle of people who basically have faced an oppressive system for years and have learned from each other's struggles and discourse to continue insisting that Jerusalem will always be Palestinians. Its people will always be in it because that's a part of our history. Thank you.